0: Dive right into our labyrinth series because that clock eventually is going to kick me off, and uh, that's okay with you guys because you probably got better things to do uh, than listen to me all day. So uh, I do want to recap one really quick thing from the past few weeks, and we're not going all. you are like, "Oh, here we go in the labyrinth." No, no, no. Go and listen online. Go and 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 um, pull it up on the podcast. But our the thing I want to bring up from this labyrinth series and how the how the labyrinth is different from a maze is this. Remember, the goal of a maze is to get out, like the world. You know, the world views uh, life as a maze. Just get me out of this situation, get me out of this, you know, job, get me out of this bad relationship, get me out, just get me out. And we're, we're struggling to find an exit uh, with twists and turns and dead ends and wrong directions and, and multiple ways out. And, and our life with Jesus is not supposed to be a maze. It's supposed to be this other thing called a labyrinth. And a labyrinth is just one way in and one destination in the center. And so our goal in, in walking with Jesus is not to get out, but a labyrinth, our goal is to get in. And if you ever see a labyrinth or an overhead picture of a labyrinth, the, the, the end destination is always in the center. And there's only one path in to get there. And so that's what I am to remind us of this morning, because we, there are things that we are in the journey of going through this life with Jesus that can really get in our way of our relationship with Him and, and, and walking through this labyrinth. And sometimes it makes it feel like that maze. We talked about there are three things last week that we like to, A, run from. Today, we're talking about the things that we hide from. And then next week, we're going to close out with things that we ignore on our faith walk with Jesus that can really get in the way and stop any progress on our journey through the labyrinth. So we're going to dive right in to things that we hide from. Now we're going to end up this morning with what I believe is an absolute truth. And I want you to hold this in the back of your brain. I want you to have your Bibles out and ready because we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today. So pull them out or or turn them on and um, be ready to dive in. And I think we're going to end up with an absolute truth this morning. I think it's going to apply to every single person in here, no matter how old you are, whether you're a guy or a girl, whether you're in school or you have got a job, or you're tired, it doesn't matter. I believe there's an absolute truth for every single one of us, and we're going to discover that by the end uh, of this message today. So there are ultimately only three things that we hide from in this life. And I put a lot of thought in this, put a lot of prayer into this uh, over the past few weeks, preparing for what we we're going to be talking about today. And there are only three things that I believe we actually hide from in this life. And we're going to look at the first one, and the second one, and the third one. Here we go. The first thing. We hide from the enemy in this life. We hide from the enemy. Turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 24 is where we're going to begin. 1 Samuel 23 and 24. And and we're always going to be, for most of this message, we're going to follow this guy you've probably heard of from the Old Testament. This guy's name is David. Pretty famous guy. As far as the Bible is concerned. You know, so you got stone thrower, giant slayer, King David, you know, was a shepherd boy, lowliest of the low, eventually finds his way up to being the king. And now here we are, and David is on the run. King Saul has become very jealous of David because they've written a song about him, and that's pretty popular. If you get a song written about, you know, as King Saul has has has, has slain his thousands. And King David has has slain his tens of thousands. And so this giant, really ridiculous song, because by that point, all we know is that David just killed one dude, um, just a giant, and that's where this song comes from. But it was such a victory of the Philistines that they write this song, and then Saul, King Saul, uh, becomes jealous, and he has it out for David. And King Saul's son, Jonathan, is friends with David, and Jonathan's always trying to save him and get him out of here. And here we pick up into the story where, where King Saul... Is, is literally has nothing better to do, this king of all of this land has nothing better to do than to chase one dude down, running and hiding in fields and caves. And that guy is David. So here we pick up in verse 24. And they, David and his guys, arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the, in the wilderness of Maon, and the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. Sounds like Pokemon or something like that. You know. on. Um, and Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down the rock. If you don't get that, don't worry about it. My brain's in a different place this morning. And David was told, so he went out down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Now Saul went to one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And Saul and his men were closing in on David. And his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. And Saul's like, Oh, come on. I'm so close to catching this guy. Are you serious? Kingly duties? Fine. So King Saul goes with his guys. He returns from pursuing after David. Probably spares David's life in that moment. And went against the Philistines. And therefore, that place was called, what? The Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Now hiding in all of these caves from King Saul is when David writes many of the psalms that we read. You know, a lot of it comes out of the, the anguish, the torment, the frustration, the probably fear that David is feeling when he's hiding from this king who literally has nothing better to do than to spend all his time and money chasing this one guy down to try to kill him. And if you spend your life hiding from the enemy, you will always be on the run. You're always going to be tired, you're always going to be worn out, you're always going to be burnt out, you're always going to be broke, you're always going to be hurt, you're always going to be frustrated. You see, you and I as Christ followers, were never meant to hide from Satan. We're never meant to hide from Satan. We are meant to confront him and through the power of Jesus Christ, defeat him. Never run from him. But too many of us simply hide from Him out of fear. Shaking in our boots and we find ourselves bouncing from cave to cave like David. From relationship to relationship. From job to job. From location to location. From church to church. From drug to drug. Always on the run. And that is not the way that God designed you and I to live. Especially when we should be walking with Him in the labyrinth does this make sense so you and i we cannot spend our lives it'll be a wasted life to to run from the devil okay there's a second thing we hide from we hide from others so we hide from the enemy and our journey we hide from the others in our journey or at least we think we can right let me explain who knows this guy let's put up a picture who knows who this guy is Terry Crews, let's put up that next picture. He's, you probably recognize him from crazy Old Spice commercials, right, or movies. In and, and last month's um, relevant magazine, Terry was interviewed. I want to read a few things that he had to say. He says, the fact that we are still here, he and his wife, Rebecca, 28 years. they got five beautiful kids, one grandbaby. Yeah, Terry Crews is a granddad. He says, I know a lot of people in Hollywood that wish they could be close to something like that, and I think that's my proudest production. Because let me tell you, it was a horror movie for a while. You may not know about Terry Cruz's story. I'm gonna tell you a little bit. He grew up in Flint, Michigan. Very dangerous place. Even today, Flint, Michigan has the fourth highest murder rate in the country. He's the son of an alcoholic father and of a religious mother. And he is ended up at church five times a week with his mom. Five times a week. Probably is an excuse, maybe to just get away from his father. He went to Western Michigan University to study art and play football. and He met his wife there, Rebecca. They got married, and he did well enough to be drafted by the L.A. Rams. After leaving the NFL, he started working in Hollywood and ended up landing some small roles in movies you may have heard of, like Training Day. Suddenly, a budding famous actor, he went to a massage parlor one day, and he cheated on his wife. I vowed I would never tell, he says, and eight years went by. Eight years went by, and my wife was always questioning me, and I would just deny it. There are times when you think you hit rock bottom, and what you've done, you just actually hit a cliff. You just hit the ledge. You haven't fallen all the way off yet. He said, the thing about religion is that it can become a mask that you wear so long that you become it. Here I was, a Christian, a church goer, but I had a double life. It was as if the risk of exposing his secret felt greater than the risk of hiding it. And Terry Crews, he's a professional actor. Until one day his performance fell apart. He goes on, I knew I wasn't telling the truth. And one day, we call it D-Day around our house, he says, my wife just confronted me. He was in New York at the time and his wife was in L.A. And Terry says he heard a divine voice in his head that told him, if you don't tell this woman the truth, I'm done with you. You can go ahead, but you'll be doing everything without me. So I told her, Terry said. And I remember just everything falling apart. She's like, I'm done with you. You've got to go. Don't come home. He goes on. The thing is, Hollywood does not care that you lose your family. They just don't care. You'll still be very successful. They'll just go, okay, next. No big deal. But I knew who I was. I knew what I had done, and I knew that I wasn't truthful. I had learned to hide who I was. Hiding from others, right? You learn to hide your feelings. You learn to just split in two. Terry got advice from his pastor, and he started going to a faith-based rehab in Phoenix. His marriage did not end, even though he thought it was going to. God was literally telling me, hey man, there's greater meaning here, he said. And now I can see it. He and his wife went to therapy together and after years, years of being honest, years of heartbreak and rebuilding, he goes on, it's kind of like you expose that stuff, you sweep away. But the more you try to hide it, the worse it gets. He concludes, now our relationship is better than it's ever been. Success to me is when my wife can look at me and she's proud, and my kids can look at me, and they're not ashamed. See, in addition to still being a popular actor, he is now also on a public speaking circuit, telling his story and hopes that others can get inspired to get real about their own issues. For a long time, from his wife even, Terry Crews, Old Spice commercial guy, I'm not a whistler, but you know, the, the, the crazy awesome Terry Crews, right? Hilarious Terry Crews muscular Terry Crews from the Expendables, you know, he had this secret, he was hiding from others, guess what, so did David, we're going to continue on his journey, 1 Samuel chapter 21 now, bounce back just a page, we're going to continue finding out about him, chapter 21, we're going to be in verse 10. And this is still during the time where David is, is fleeing from King Saul, and it gets so bad, he runs into this group you may have heard of called the Philistines. Now, you probably don't think David and the Philistines would get along pretty well, right? He killed their greatest warrior, and now he's running from King Saul, and has nowhere else to go but to this place called Gath. Do you remember where Gath, Goliath was from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So maybe this is starting to tie into you, like David killed Goliath, a few little bit later he's on the run and he ends up in Goliath's hometown, running from King Saul. Verse 10, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Ashish near the, near the, uh, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? Because he had been blessed and anointed by Samuel, and that's one of the reasons why uh, first of all, it's called this book, but second of all, why King Saul was jealous. Did they not sing to one another of them as dances? Saul is struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. There's that fun song, you're like, wait a second, we're Philistines, and we've heard this song. You know, it's, it's popular, it's got a catchy tune. You know, Saul's David's tens of thousands. You know, it makes sense. And we're like, we've heard this. Isn't this the guy they've been singing about? Verse 12, and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Asius, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. And pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Let's pause for a second. Has anyone ever preached on this before? Okay, all right, I didn't think so. Neither have I. Uh, This is a fun little passage. I'm like, we got to talk about this, right? Verse 14 Then Asia said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? Like, don't, don't I have enough crazy people around me that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And David departs from there in the next verse. See, David tried to hide who he was from others. He's like, they may kill me. Like, I'm in Goliath's hometown running from King Saul. Like, where am I going to go? And he, literally, that's what David does. And I want you to get this in your brain because he just goes off the deep end. He acts crazy to hide who he is and what God's called him to do and who's God called him to be, the anointed next king of Israel. That's what David does to hide from other people, to hide from King Saul and to hide from the Philistines. In the short term, they thought he was crazy. In the long term, none of this ends up working out. You can read about that a few chapters later at home. So we hide from the enemy. That doesn't work, right? We can't hide from the enemy. He's always going to find us. But we're not supposed to run in fear. We're supposed to stand in faith, right? And we're not going to be able to hide from others because eventually the ones that matter are going to find out. Like Terry Cruz's wife. They're going to keep bugging you. They're just going to keep asking you. They're gonna keep asking you, and eventually, the ones that matter are gonna find out. You can't hide who you are from others. You can't hide from the enemy. A third thing we try to hide from on this journey is this one: we try to hide from the Lord. Yeah, we do. We try to hide from the Lord. Hooray! More David's journey. Now let's bounce over a book. So not First Samuel, but Second Samuel, chapter eleven. 2 Samuel, chapter eleven. And that's where we're going to start in verse 2. Because I love where verse 2 picks up. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. What's the first two words? It happened. It's almost like an entrance to one of the greatest you know, stories. Like, you may call me Ishmael, right? From Moby Dick. It's like the entrance to a, to a famous novel here. It happened. Because this was a big deal when they're recounting this story late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Obviously, by this point, King David is King David. King Saul has been killed and Jonathan and his sons killed as well. Very sad for David. And David has now come under the throne. He's done with the bleep, 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 days and now he's strutting around the palace. He's looking over and he's like, hey, hey girl, how are you, right? And he sees this woman and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is it not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness, that's parentheses then there, to let you know that it was magic time if you're married, if you get what I'm saying. This is the wonderful time where things can become, okay? He didn't know that till later. She returned home. And the woman conceived. She took that little two blue lines pregnancy test. He was like, uh oh. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Whoa, oh. Bad news for David, right? He has seen this other man's wife. She's married to this guy. He invites her into, into his palace. They do the bad thing, bad things happen. And then, you know what, where this goes, right? Verse 14, let's pick up there. This is how bad David wants to have Bathsheba to himself, even though she was still married. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, kind of king or general of his armies, right? And sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So David seals this letter hands it to the husband who he's been having dinner with to try to schmooze him, right? Um, he, sent, he, ra- he seals this letter and says, hey, guess what? Give this to your general when you go out to the army. And in this letter, Uriah doesn't know it, but it's basically sealing his own fate. And Joab was besieging the city. He assigned Uriah, like David asked in that letter that Uriah himself carried, he said, assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men, and the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. So David has found this wonderful, beautiful woman who's not married to him, named Bathsheba. He takes her, she gets pregnant, now he sends the husband off to be killed. He doesn't do it by his own hand, right? He says, you know what? There's a war on. Oh, ha, 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 ha. And in this moment, David becomes King Saul because that's exactly what King Saul wanted to do to him. He said, well, I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to let the Philistines do it, which is why David was in Gath in the first place. Let's pick up in verse 26 and 27 as we move on. Verse 26 and 27. When the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba, heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became a wife, and she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Going right on into verse, or chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, tells him this story. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. It's like you have a really, you know, guy who's really attached to his pet here. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come for him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him and David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to Nathan as the lord lives the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity and David said to Nathan or Nathan said to David you are that man you've done this to Uriah All he had was one. You've had many, many wives and concubines. You're the king, got a palace. You saw the one you couldn't have. And you took her for yourself. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, and your master's wives, and your arms. gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to it much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? And he goes on and eventually says from the Lord that that son that that Bathsheba is pregnant with will not live. And that son ends up dying in the next paragraph or two. And we're going to skip ahead to verse 24. This is after the child that uh, she got pregnant with was already dead and they had mourning for it. Right. So David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went in with her, and he lay with her. Now that everything is kind of cleared up, and she bore him his son, and he called his name, what? Solomon. Now, that's a pretty famous King Solomon, if you, if you know. And so this, even though this looks like tragedy, God is still able to use what happened here for good. And you can actually read, I want to re- read a little bit and get in David's mindset. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Let me turn over there. Um, psalm 51, and you can actually get in the mind of David because this is the psalm that David writes when Nathan confronts him about what he has done with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And if you've heard this verse before, this is where it comes from. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And that's David's response out of all of this. Like, okay, hiding from the Lord. I, I kind of, eh, I don't know. We're going to dive in deeper because I'm not sure we got it. Because I'm not sure I got it in the beginning. You see, hiding from the Lord isn't just trying to erroneously pretend that He doesn't know what you've done, as David did. Hiding from the Lord is also prepe- pre- pre- pretending. It's also pretending that He hasn't called you to do something. I'll say that again because I totally messed it up. Hiding from the Lord isn't just trying to pretend that he doesn't know what you've done. Hiding from the Lord is also pretending that he also hasn't called you to do something. There's this guy named Jonah. You may have heard of Jonah. I just want to read, you don't have to turn there, but first few verses of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee tries to run away tries to hide from the Lord to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship because that will give him away from God right going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And you and I, pro- you probably know the story if you've been through this thing called Sunday school ever in your life. And you know, Jonah gets thrown all overboard and fish eats Jonah, swallows Jonah. Jonah swims around inside the fish for three days, calling out to God. Eventually, bleh, you know, spits Jonah out up on the shore. Guess where he's at? You know, he's back on land. And then he still has to go to Nineveh to follow what God has called him to do. Because ultimately, you cannot hide from the Lord. You can't get on a ship and go there as Jonah tried to do. You, you can't go in your, and be engrossed in your job and hide from the Lord. You can't be engrossed in your family life and responsibilities and just things to do and hide from the Lord. You cannot hide from the Lord. And you know what? You can't hide from these other two things we talked about either. You can't hide yourself from others. Ultimately, the best you can hope for is a delayed finding out. And you also can't hide from the enemy. Remember that absolute truth I told you I think we're going to discover this morning? It's this. Every single one of us in here came in this morning hiding from one of these three things. Every single one of us this morning came in, ultimately, to some level, to some degree, hiding from one of these three things. Hiding from the enemy, Bouncing from relationship to relationship, trying to find satisfaction in the world. You're never going to find it. Maybe you came in here hiding yourself from others. Maybe there's someone who, who you feel like if you revealed that secret to, they would just, oh my gosh, they, would, they wouldn't ever be look at you or talk to you. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your best friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Maybe you came in this morning hiding from the Lord. You're like, I'm in a church. How can I be hiding from the Lord? You know, I've known more people hiding from God's will in a pew on Sunday mornings than I could count. Deep down, you may know an absolute truth today, something God has called you to do and you're not doing it. Someone God has called you to minister with or to share the gospel with. A neighbor that you've been called to invite to church over and over again and you ignore it. A financial amount to give that's not a tie that you've become comfortable with in your own mind. A ministry or a mission to get involved in serving and the list goes on. You can be hiding from the Lord today simply by not doing what He's called you to do when, where, and how He's called you to do it. You know, if we're honest Church can make being a Jonah easy for us. You think, well, I'm here. How could I be hiding from the Lord? Again, the reality is many of us probably are today, not just in this room, but out there, and hundreds of thousands of churches across this country. And we've been hiding for some time. Again, sometimes we think we can hide simply by putting off what God has called us to do. Not by giving or by serving as the Holy Spirit encourages us to do. Not by sharing our faith as if someone else's life actually depended on it. And it does. Again, I believe that absolute truth holds true for everyone here today. At some level, you have been trying to hide from the enemy, the others, or from the Lord in your life. And the truth is, you can't hide from any of these. So the hiding has to end with one exception. With one exception, there is a hidden, ironic, fourth option. And this option only exists if you're walking in the labyrinth, that one-way journey with a goal in the center, be closer with Jesus. That option only exists if you're in the labyrinth with Jesus. And you know what that answer is? It's not hiding from others. It's not hiding from the, the world. It's not hiding from the enemy. It's not hiding from the Lord. It's hiding in the Lord. And when we replace that from to and in, in, everything changes. Hiding in the Lord is the only real refuge that you and I actually have. You know there's only over 70 references to God being a fortress, a rock, a refuge, or an escape in the Bible? Do you remember what that mountain was that David called that place when he was freed from King Saul? We read it together. The, the place of escape, right? The refuge Continuing in David's story, we're going to wrap up with perhaps some of the most important words in the Old Testament. Again, it's found in Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139 is where we're going to be first. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me; it's so high I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? See, David knew something that Jonah didn't. Where shall I flee from your flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, if I go up into the sky, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the pit of the earth, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. And if I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me be night. You know, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, from the days that were formed for me, all of them, as when yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them. They are more than the sand. I awake. And yet, I am still with you. And then finally, from Psalm 46. First few verses of Psalm uh, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Although its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And here we find this word called Selah. And Selah is basically written here because we're not supposed to keep reading the psalm after this. We're supposed to stop and just think on these words that we've read. Stop everything, stop thinking about anything, or about where you got to go to lunch, stop thinking, and just be here, wow, Selah, take a pause, think about this. We cannot escape from God. We can't escape from the enemy and we cannot escape from others except by hiding in the Lord. Let's, Selah, let's just think about that for a minute. Because that's deep. on your own, you cannot hide from the enemy. You cannot hide from others and you cannot hide from the Lord or what He's called you to do. But you can hide in the Lord by taking refuge in Him and that's what walking in the labyrinth is all about. So today, I'm going to ask you to stop hiding. Stop hiding from the enemy and stand firm in your faith regardless of what financial, situational, or relational things He may try to throw your way even today or this week. Maybe you're in it right now. Stop hiding from the enemy. Stand firm in your faith. Stop hiding who God has called you to be in front of others. Stop hiding in front of others. And that may mean that you have to stop hiding what you've done with these others this, this week as well and come clean. Pull a Terry Crews out of your back pocket. Stop hiding from the Lord and what you know in your heart that He has called you to do. Maybe you've known it for a long time. Maybe you sat in a lot of pews over a lot of Sundays over a lot of years and you still have this tug on your heart because you've never done that thing that He's called you to do. Stop hiding from the Lord. There's already one Jonah. He was enough, right? Let's not add to this story because no one wants to end up in a fish. And I know God could do it again if He really wanted to. So stop hiding, stop hiding, stop hiding. And you know what? Start hiding. But not in those things. Start hiding in the Lord. Seeking refuge in Him. Reading His Word daily, hourly even. Start hiding in His wisdom. Hiding in His His peace, His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness, His love. His never-ending kindness. Dive deeper in the labyrinth this week than you've ever gone before. And I promise you, I promise you, it's going to change your life. Not because of what I say, but because of who. God is. And when you hide with him in the labyrinth, everything changes. i going to pray for us as we're going to fight the band up and we're going to close in song.